Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. Welcome to Book Club with Michael Smirkanish, a collection of Michael's favorite interviews with authors from the last 30 years through today, on the air, on radio. What sets my book club apart is that I actually read the books. Book Club is now in session. My next guest is a Tumblr. And he's the author of a... You like that? And and he's also the author of a... (laughs) He's also the author of a brand new book called... This country, my life in politics and history. Chris Matthews joins me. Nice to have you back on the program. It's been too long. Thank you, Michael. It's good to be back. What's a tumbler? It's it's been the up in the up in the old uh, Bush Belt where the guys would on a rainy day, a guy like Zero Mostel or Pinky Lee or one of those old greats would keep the women happy on a on a, a miserable day. He'd entertain. He'd shake things up. He'd create excitement. He create tumult. That's where it comes from. It's Yiddish term. You know, I noticed that on on the jacket of the book, it says Chris Matthews, best-selling author of Hardball. And indeed, I think you've written eight or so books, uh, and Hardball was one of them, and it was a a bestseller. But you, you, you singled out that book title, or was it a way of just saying... Hey, I want to pay homage to my years of hosting hardball. What what was the thinking that went into was, that? I think it was, I think you're going, you got on this. I wanted to remind people that I was the guy on hardball for twenty some years, but also I own the name. I mean, I've got the name. They left it to me. NBC gave me the name to go with me, but uh, 
I, I've always been incorporated as Hardball Inc. And I have, uh, I'm really proud of that first book, Michael. It was 1988. It was everything I'd learned in politics working in it all those years, especially with Tip O'Neill. And it's a guide to young, it's still used in a lot of high schools and colleges as an outside reading, required reading, because it's really practical about how to get ahead in life, not just in politics. I did to your new book what then Vice President George Bush did to Hardball. What did he do to Hardball the book? Well, he wrote a really nice note to me, uh, uh, citing all the pages that his name was in, and then said in the note from Bush, from Vice President Bush at the time, having escaped unscathed, I'll read the rest of the book. Best of luck. That, that came from Vice President George Herbert Walker Bush, yeah. So you right. is, did it, the same. Is, is that what we now regard as the Washington read? Yes. Well, it has always been. You go to the bookstore on a Saturday. You're walking this the pre-COVID, hopefully post-COVID days. You're wandering around on a Saturday. Your wife is probably shopping for something. And you uh, go to the local bookstore to kill time. And you walk around. You see a book about Washington. You open it up to see if your name's in it. <laughs> well, I looked it up. Sure I looked it up. Yeah, I looked it up. My name wasn't in it. I feel slighted, by the way, when you articulated at the end those who you worked with. But I'll circle back to you privately on that matter. I think that people people who know Chris Matthews and know of your your 20 plus years hosting Hardball and all the other things that you've done in media will be shocked to find that in high school you dreaded public speaking and did something about it. What was that? Nobody was more scared of getting up in front of a group than I was. I don't think I was really petrified. In fact, I could hardly sleep the night before my turn turn was coming up to to speak. I think we had two years of public speaking at LaSalle High School. And um, what I did was like you're supposed to do. I just got on the horse and rode it. I I accepted every speech that I ever invited was invited to when I was working in politics for nothing, for a couple hundred bucks, whatever. I just said, yes. I took a class in public speaking. I joined the Toastmasters, which is a wonderful group to join because people support you. They cheer you. So you get used to getting up in front of a group that's not hostile to you, but in fact is rooting for you. I recommend anybody who has to do it. There's no X, what's the right word? There's no uh, alternative. I mean, it's like anything. Marvin Hamlis, the great uh, music composer and 70 films or something he did, a wonderful man. He told me you practice piano four hours a day, every day of the year. And at the end of each year, you notice you could do something new. It's that hard. But practice is the only way to get there. And uh, and I just gave a lot of speeches. So I, it means nothing to me now to get in front of a crowd. This book is very much a memoir. It's Chris Matthews telling his life story, reflecting on politics, the many interactions that you've had with people who are household names over the years. By the way, I also learned something I didn't know that we have in common, and that is we both delivered the evening bulletin. (laughs) How many papers did you have, Michael? I had an apartment complex that had in it about 250 unbelievable you are so lucky that is the way to do it that is the way to do it. i had a well my first paper route was five miles it was right along the, the city line between uh, but uh, bucks county and philadelphia county Ro- county line road 
And then I had a large one in my own neighborhood of about 114 papers. Uh, I had a couple of my brothers helping me, but it was much more spread out than, than yours was. I, I was on my bike. And one thing I learned in the book, and I said in the book was, I realized that Wednesday was shopping day in Philadelphia when the Lit Brothers and uh, Gimbals and Wanamakers. Uh, most importantly, Wanamakers all had their big sales. So the newspaper on Tuesday afternoon was humongous. And you had to go back and fill your basket <laughs> twice. And so you began to figure out how these things worked. And what I discovered was Nixon would come to town. Kennedy would come to town on Wednesday because all they had to do was drive their motorcade through Center City and there'd be a million people there because and they could always get a big crowd. So they always made a point of coming to town on shopping day, which I realized was always Wednesday because I had a big load of papers on Tuesday. It all was symbiotic. Newspapers, the department stores and politics. What a country and what a business that allowed you in the span of a decade to go from a Capitol police officer to the AA, the administrative assistant, the top job, the chief of staff, to the Speaker of the House. Unbelievable. <laughs> it was 10 years of, uh, well, first of all, I was a cop because that was the job I could get. When I came back from the Peace Corps in Africa, Michael, I didn't know anybody. So I just knocked on hundreds of doors on Capitol Hill. And uh, in those days, you could do that before the, the terrorism and everything. Um, and I, uh, I finally got a job with a young guy who was a Kennedy, very pro-Kennedy guy, who was working for a senator from Utah. And he said, I can't give you a job right now, but if you, I'd like you to work at the, as a cop at nighttime from 3 to 11 at night and then uh, and work in the office during the daytime. And that was something. Mike Barnacle did that. Harry Reid did that. A lot, a lot of people had those entry-level jobs on the Hill, whether working in the mailroom or the elevators or a cop uh, job. And um, But I did have a gun. I had a uniform. Um, it was fascinating to work with those those Capitol Police. But then within 10 years, as you said, I was top aide to tip. Yeah, the speaker. I love the story. So many great stories are, are in this new book by Chris Matthews. But I, in particular, love the story that you are now – Tip O'Neill's chief lieutenant, his administrative assistant, President Reagan, comes to the Capitol, and the two of you have a private word in a particular room. You know where I'm going with this. Tell the story. Well, when the president comes to, to this, give the State of the Union in the House of Representatives chamber, this is traditional every year. He sometimes comes other, other times as well. The holding room, at least when I was there, was the president, was the speaker's ceremonial office which was just off the House floor. And so they had him in there drinking, I think it was hot tea. And then they, later on, it was something else he was drinking uh, just to get his voice right, that great Reagan voice. And I walked in the room and just said, Mr. President, welcome to the room where we plot against you. And, and I don't know why I said it, but I say things like that. And he, uh, and he said, that wonderful Reagan voice. He goes, oh, no, not after six. The speaker says we're all friends after six. And that really happened. Yes, it did. Chris, in, in my public speaking, I, I borrow a story that you told in your Tip in the Gipper book about how Ronald Reagan hosted Tip O'Neill at the White House for his 69th birthday and proposed an old Irish toast. By the way, I'm catching you cold with this. And if you don't remember it, that's fine. I certainly do. Do you remember what the toast was? Well, 
I'll bet you remember it better, but it's so much. If I, I had a, if I had, okay, if I had a ticket to heaven and you didn't have one too, I'd throw mine away and go to hell with you. Yeah, well, that's a, I would call that a case of hyperbole. <laughs> <laughs> but t- it was tell well me intentioned, the, the, but I, I think for the true believers, that would not be a, a serious commitment. But, but can you, but can you imagine, but can you imagine, you know, Trump and below and Pelosi, can you ma- imagine no, Boehner no. and hey, Obama was, having that? When, when, when Tip O'Neill retired in uh, 1986 and Reagan still had two years to go for his presidency, he said, I hope you will always give me the honor of calling you my friend. So, uh, yes. And more important to the country, to our Republic even though they disagreed philosophically and they really did argue in the back room with no one else listening. Um, they could find their way to make arrangements like this big deal. We've just been through with bipartisan uh, infrastructure. I, I think they made the number of those to save social security, to uh, reform taxes, to deal with Northern Ireland, to work for the end of the cold war. They were quite capable when it came to it, to sit down and deal for the country. And I think that's what we need. I really think we need the ability ultimately, and maybe we're maybe we're finding our way there. I don't know. I hope so. My favorite story in the book, I'm not going to give it all away for free. People should buy and read Chris Matthews' memoir. It's called This Country, My Life in Politics and History. I remember watching you with Zell Miller. I remember the <laughs> challenge of the duel. And you brought that story full circle and told us about a letter that you received shortly before he passed. What am I making reference to? Well, we were on, it was the 2004 Republican convention in Madison Square Garden in New York. And we were a few blocks away at uh, Broadway and 34th at Herald Square. And I'm out there in the middle of the road there in the margin right in the middle right, right at this with this where big bronze is with the highway coming with broadway going in both directions and a lot of crowd around us and i'm talking to zell miller and he got off to a bad start with me maybe i got a, i was as part of responsible but he uh wanted to have a, a duel with me because i kept saying are you saying the democrats only want to pay for spitballs for national defense just spitballs and he says well that's a metaphor and i said a metaphor for what what are you saying about the democrats and then he gets really mad and he goes, this is a Democratic senator speaking at a Republican convention, giving the keynote. And if he got really mad at me, he said, I wish I lived in a town when you could challenge a man to a duel. Now, that would be pretty good. And he really had the fire in his eyes. And I thought, this guy's really hot. What's he so mad about? And, uh, and, and you know, I thought he looked a little wild, a little crazy, maybe. So I felt bad about it because this guy had served the country in, his, in the Marines. He'd served the country. And I think he was high-hatted by some of the liberal Democrats when he came to the Senate. I think they looked down on him because he was a country guy. So I wrote him a note at the end. I said, I think we all have our bad nights. And uh, I don't think we both pretty good, looked very good that night. And I want to thank you for your service to the country. Well, he wrote me the most wonderful. I've got it somewhere in my pile of papers. The most wonderful letter back about how thankful he was and grateful that I had sent that note to him. And he was just wonderfully warm about it. And then, as you say, a few months later, he died. I'm so much, boy, talk about life advice. Nothing's more important, I think, than getting together with someone you've had a tiff with, a fight with, before it's too late. And uh, 
I'm so glad we did get together at the end. Do you miss being in the thick of it day to day? I don't. I had 20. I'm up here on Nantucket. We've been lucky to you know, be able to afford a house up here. I'm up on the cliffs overlooking the ocean right now, the Atlantic, and the flags are flying. And uh, I, I do don't miss not having seen the sun go down for 26 years. I mean, I miss that I work is working in the evenings, live TV every night. I love being on the air. Uh, I thought toward the end, I thought at the end, I didn't feel like I fit in that well. I, uh, for a number of reasons, I felt that the Democrats and the media around me were getting pretty far left. Uh, I didn't like the idea of uh, Bernie Sanders even getting anywhere near a nomination because I felt that he didn't understand the Cold War. He, he didn't get it. Uh, he didn't understand it was us against the bad guys, including Castro and Medora and all the rest of them, Noriega. I don't think he, I just didn't agree with him on that. And people seem very copacetic about the idea about him being the nominee. I go, well, not, not me. I've been through that stuff with McGovern back in 72. And I didn't want to get, be part of that scene again. Um, and I felt, uh, you know, I just felt that I wasn't really clicking exactly the way I had been before. I wasn't, I, I wasn't happy with the culture, the political culture, too polarized, too, well, you know, it's what you've argued for your whole career against this kind of polarization. And uh, and I just felt it gotten out of hand. That's my view. It wasn't the reason I left, but I'm not sad to have missed, missed that. You make reference at the end of the book, having commented on a guest's appearance a few years prior I in the makeup chair. I in the makeup. I make it, she was in the makeup chair. I looked over in front of everybody said, how come I haven't fallen in love with you yet? You know, you can take that for what it's worth. It was in public. Every, the makeup people heard it. I, I, get, I get in kind of a mood when I'm in the makeup room. I relax. And, you know, I'm not going to defend it. And I'm not going to talk anymore about it. Right? I had to say what I said at the time. I shouldn't have said it. I apologize for it. I shouldn't have complimented or complimented or anything like a person's appearance at the workplace. I understand all that. Those are the rules that I broke them. You know, take it for what everybody has a different view on this, usually depending on their generation. Uh, my view is I shouldn't have done it. Uh, I thought I handled it best I could. I retired. I said, I'm not going to deal with whatever sanctions they had in mind against me. I didn't want to de- deal with arguing over things, uh, fighting with MSNBC. I, I didn't, I just, uh, Kathy and I were in the room together with the president of the network, Phil Griffin. And I, we, I just, with both of us, she said, is this all that it's about? Is this all it's about? This thing is one incident. There's one comment. And Griffin said, yeah. And she said, okay, let's get out of here. And I said, let's get out of here. And that was it. And that was it. It sounds odd. It will sound odd in the history books, or it may not sound odd at all, but I, I, it will be what it was because that's what it was. And I, it's all on the record. The book is called this country, my life in politics and history. Nice to have you back on the program. I love the stories that are in the book and we'll catch up soon. And you're a man of great integrity, and you've always been Michael Spurkanish. I've always appreciated the uh, standard you've set for hard news and facts. And, nice uh, of you to and say. non-polarization. And non-polarization. That's uh, a great tribute to you, I think. Thank you, Chris. I'll see you soon. Okay, bye. It's Chris Matthews. The book, This Country, a memoir from the former host of Hardball. Brings back a lot of memories just to, uh, just to chat with Chris. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen to the Michael Smirconish program weekdays on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 and anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com.
spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The Eucalyptus Fiber Upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light Shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed.